The last song was strong, wasn't it? Some great truths, reminders of the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. A lot of times we have a hard time accepting when we've been forgiven, right? But we know that as far as the east is from the west, the Lord has forgiven us, those who turned from their sin and trusted Him. Uh, and we are made clean, as we will see this morning. If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, this morning, we bless the Lord for granting us the opportunity to continue our time in the gospel according to Luke. Uh, we'll be in verses 12 through 16 uh, this morning. If you remember the opening verses of the gospel, uh, tell us, the gospel according to Luke, tell us, that Luke's primary concern is providing an orderly account to show that Jesus Christ is eternal God in human flesh. In the first three chapters, there are multiple declarations that identify Jesus as Messiah, as the Savior, and as the Redeemer. And in chapter 4, Jesus began His public ministry in which we, see, we have seen these truths manifested in both word and in Deed, And this morning we will consider the second miracle in a chain of three miracles that draw our attention to the fact that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. However, as we will see, there is also much we can glean from this particular encounter, from those involved in this account of Jesus' ministry and the powerful work that He carries out. Now, the story we're about to read is simple, and it is short. In your life, if you've had any exposure to Christianity or spent any time in Sunday school, odds are that you have heard this story before. And this story is easily one of those stories from Jesus' life that we can read through quickly and really, as we do, miss the power of what is taking place. But I want us to pause here for a moment, and I want us to see the glory of Christ in healing this leper. And I say this a lot because I think it's true, but again, it's easy for us who have familiarity with the Bible, familiarity with the Scriptures, or the things of God, just to fly through some of these accounts and miss what God has for us. And I say that all the time because I believe it to be true because I know it's true of my own life and my own time in the Word. But I don't want to do that this morning. I think there's a lot that we can learn from this encounter. In fact, as you'll see on the front of your bulletin or in the uh, order of service, I was originally planning to go through verse 26 today and cover these next two Miracles, But as I continued to study and as I continued to meditate on this text, I felt like we needed to focus our attention specifically on these few verses in 12 through 16. This morning, church, I want to tell you this, and I want you to be encouraged by this, and I want you to wait in great anticipation as we work our way through this text. This morning, hear this very clearly. The Lord has something for us in this text. We come together because the Lord's given us His Word, and He has something for His people from His Word. And this morning, as you sit here today, the Lord has something for you and for, for, for I from Christ's encounter with this leper. And I pray that the Spirit of God would bless the preaching of His Word as we consider this divine encounter. And so if you are able, would you stand 
in honor of the reading of God's Word as we read Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16 reads, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for, the, for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Would you pray with me? God, you're gracious to us to have given us your word You're gracious to have given us an opportunity to study Your Word free from hostility and repercussions that other brothers and sisters face across this world. And so God, I pray that as we've gathered as Your redeemed people, as we've gathered in great anticipation to hear from You through Your Spirit that resides within those who have trusted in Christ, God, I pray that You would show us, provide for us, and give us what you would have from this account of Jesus' life on earth. And may he be lifted high this morning through the preaching of your holy word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So upon an initial reading of this passage, as we look at these particular verses, we aren't told anything significant about the setting of Jesus' interaction with this leper, only that it took place in one of the towns that Jesus visited as he traveled preaching the good news of the kingdom. Luke has already communicated to us that Jesus' reputation and that Jesus is, and the word of his power is spreading, leading many people to being brought to Jesus for healing from all sorts of diseases and afflictions. But on few occasions, Luke does this very thing. He isolates specific cases where Jesus manifested this power in his ministry. And as we see this morning, Luke chose to single out this occurrence with this leper that Jesus heals or makes clean. Now, the term leprosy was used for a variety of skin diseases uh, in the first century. Not necessarily leprosy proper as we know it today, which is known as Hansen's disease. And so a multitude of serious afflictions were categorized as leprosy. And so we don't know exactly what type of leprosy with which this man was afflicted. In Leviticus, there is extensive instructions that the Lord has given for diagnostic purposes to determine or find out if a rash or a scab or a lesion on a person's skin was a harmless problem or one that the priest would deem as leprosy. And so it was the priest's job, if we look at Leviticus 13 and 14, it was the priest's job to establish and to make the definitive diagnosis as to what was leprosy and what was not. And we can't miss the the power of what this entailed. This very thing, this diagnosis was a life-altering event. There are many diagnoses that we can, diagnoses, maybe that's the plural, that we can think of today that are life-altering events. And the diagnosis of leprosy was a life-altering event. If a Jew woke up with a rash 
and didn't know what it was, he knew immediately that his life was at stake. The law of Moses provided instructions for dealing with people who suffered from leprosy, specifically, as I mentioned, Leviticus, Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. If someone was diagnosed with leprosy, the result was that the individual was considered ritually unclean and required to live in isolation from the life of the community. For Jews, being diagnosed with leprosy meant not only battling this miserable illness, but it was also considered a kind of living death. Merely entering the house where leprosy had broken out was enough to render an Israelite unclean. And lepers were required to walk about announcing their wretched condition lest anyone accidentally encounter them and risk contracting the illness, the uncleanness. And worst of all, if you're diagnosed with leprosy, if you're deemed unclean, you're unable to worship God in the synagogue. Yet, if a miracle does take place, or if the leprosy leaves for whatever reason, Leviticus 14 made provision for someone whose leprosy had been cleansed. And cleansed is the term regularly used for this disease rather than healed. And so Leviticus 14 made provision for those to be examined by the priest and to be restored to society. This was a brutal disease, church. Not only because of the physical pain and the physical agony that it would cause a person, but the spiritual, the emotional and the mental agony of being separated from everyone, terrifying people when they saw you, being forced to announce yourself anytime you walked into a place occupied others so that they could scurry away from you or move to the other side of the road. The lack of physical and the lack of emotional support, and then worst of all, cut off from the people of God. This is the guy who encounters Jesus today. This is what he is suffering from. This is not only the physical ailment, but the spiritual, emotional, and mental ailment that comes along with leprosy. I want to make some observations from this encounter this morning. First observation, Christ always answers the prayers of his people. Christ always answers the prayers of his people. Look at verse 12. While he was in one of the cities... There came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I'm sure when you hear me say that Christ always answers our prayers, it might draw you to stop and think for a second. But track with me just for a minute. So since I've set this scene already, since we kind of have an idea of what is taking place here, Luke tells us from the outset that this man coming to Jesus was full of leprosy. Full of leprosy, Luke tells us in verse 12. This wasn't merely an individual who had the beginning stages of leprosy or had one or two little spots on his body that were considered leprosy. The Greek rendering means completely leprous. He was completely from head to toe leprous. This man's leprosy was so severely advanced, and in a sense, he was dying bit by bit. And so not only would this man be deemed unclean and socially isolated, but there is no doubt that he is in great pain and discomfort all of the time. 
And this man approaches Jesus. He falls on his face and begs the Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, we aren't entirely sure how this leprous man knew of Jesus, but we can imagine that his word began to spread about this great healer that was coming through their towns. This immediately caused this leprous man who was suffering so greatly to tune in. I want you to imagine the tension of this encounter. This leper was taking a risk to a degree in coming to Jesus, but what else did he have to lose, right? No doubt he was used to people moving out of his way or running to the other side of the street when he came around, avoiding him at all costs. But he was determined. Further, remember that to touch a leper was automatically to contract ritual defilement. To touch a leper was to become a leper. This man falls before the King of Kings. He falls before the Lord of Lords. He falls before the great physician. And he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. As badly mangled as this man's health was, this man's theology was sound. You see, he was correct in his declaration that Jesus can make him clean. In his whole life, he had never met a single person who had the power to make him clean. And in our lives, in all of our lives, we will never meet anyone who can make us clean, save this one, Jesus, who met the leper on that day. But I want you to notice something about the request from this leper. This is powerful. This is where you and I, church, become disgruntled in our own prayer lives. You see, Christ answers the leper's request just as Jesus answers all of our requests. Whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, the Lord God Almighty answers all of our prayers. The issue with our own prayer lives and our own request of the Lord is not that God doesn't answer them. It's that we do not like the way God always answers them. You see, it's easy for us to petition the Lord day after day, month after month, year after year, saying the same thing as the leper, Lord, if you are willing. But when we do not receive the answer that we're looking for, we we begin to point the finger at God as if He didn't answer our request. The leper recognizes and he knows that Jesus has the ability to answer the request. He knows that Jesus is going to give him an answer. The question then becomes, will Jesus say yes or will Jesus say no? Will Jesus say yes or will Jesus say no? You see, it's not whether Jesus will or will not answer. It's what will his answer be? We must not forget that God's no is still an answer, church. God's no is still an answer to a request. Unfortunately, when God tells us no, we don't like that very much, do we? Like a child who is angered when his parents tell him no. None of us like to hear no. In fact, we do not, we do not like it so much that when we're told no by the Lord God, we begin to question whether God is still good just because He hasn't given us the answer that we want. But the reality is this, and hear this very clearly. Regardless of the way in which we think God should answer our prayers, God is still good, even when He does not answer our prayers the way we want Him to answer them. 
It's easy for us to think to ourselves, God hasn't answered my prayer, when in reality there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Sometimes the answer is no, but that's still an answer. And if the no comes from the Lord God, the all-powerful, the all-wise, the one who is working all things together for our good and His glory, then it's a good answer. Because it is God, in essence, saying, that's not my will for you right now, and my will for you is good and perfect. We heard this quite some time ago from our Ugandan brother here in this church, but God's no is just as good as His yes. Church, do not think for a second that because God hasn't answered your prayer in the way that you think He should, that He hasn't answered you at all. Through Christ our mediator in the indwelling Holy Spirit, God hears all of our prayers and God answers all of our prayers. God always answers when we petition Him. Even when God says no, He is still good and loving. When He says yes, we praise Him for it. When He says no, we rest and trust in His will for our lives and we praise Him for it. If you're a parent, there's no doubt that you've had to tell your kids no to certain requests they've made because you know it's not good for them in that moment. It's like when your kids come to you at 9 p.m. and ask for ice cream right before bed. Now, some of you may give it to them. We tell ours no at that point in our house. But God's answer of no is one that says this, church, trust me. I know what is best for you in this moment. My grace is sufficient for every need. Lean into me and receive peace, receive love, receive joy. Remember my promises. Remember the eternal glory that awaits you. Christian, be encouraged this morning that God always hears and always answers your requests and trust Him no matter the outcome. Second observation, Christ has compassion toward the outcast. Christ has compassion toward the outcast. Look at verse 13. And Jesus stretched out His hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So the leper does not question Jesus' ability to make him clean. Again, the question is whether Jesus will say yes or no. Now we cannot begin to fathom the tension and the anxiety of this scene. We cannot begin to even imagine what is going on in this moment from the leper anxiety wondering if Jesus will reject him because he is an unclean outcast adding maybe to his embarrassment or to his disheartedness tension from others assuming that there are others around that are looking on and wondering what would happen will Jesus flee from this unclean man how will Jesus respond I sure hope that Jesus this great healer doesn't get too close lest he become unclean and his whole ministry then be compromised but look at the tenderness look at the compassion of Jesus our merciful savior redeemer and friend I think we can all draw the conclusion that Jesus could have very well healed this man with a word just as he does in the next miracle that we'll consider next week. However, in an incredible act, Jesus reaches out and he touches this leper. I wonder how long it had been since this man had felt the touch of another human. 
I wonder how long it had been since anyone had been even close enough to this man to reach out and touch him. I wonder how long it had been since someone who isn't a leper has acknowledged him with the dignity and respect that should be shown to all people. These are things that we do not know, but the tender Savior reaches out and touches this leper who was ritually defiled. I imagine the crowd looking on, holding their breath, almost happening in slow motion. You can think about like a movie or a TV show as Jesus is reaching out his arm. In their minds, they see it in slow motion, and then it's the slow motion, no, as Christ reaches out touches this man. Our Lord Jesus affirmed this man's humanity as he reached out and touched him. The outcast received a life-altering touch from Jesus. And imagine, imagine the tenderness and care which that gesture would have communicated to a man used to people avoiding him at all costs. And in this moment, through this gentle touch of Christ, this man is made clean. Church, I ask myself this question as we consider the leper in preparation for today. Who might I, or who do we think of as unclean? I'm sure that few, if any of us, would outright say that we look at someone and think that they're unclean. But what type of people do we consciously avoid? When we're walking down the street, when we're going through the store and we see them coming our way, who do we consciously avoid because in our minds they are unclean? This is an uncomfortable question for us because we would obviously declare that we want all people to hear about Jesus. We do not consider anyone unclean in the same way that the Jewish society thought about this leper. It's easy for us to say we want all people to know Christ, but when the rubber meets the road, it's another thing to see to it that the people we may consider unclean know Jesus. Why? Well, it's uncomfortable. It's dirty. It's messy. In our flesh, there are people that we really do not want to engage with the gospel because we may view them as unclean or messy. Now, we want other people to do it. Don't get me wrong. We don't want to do it. It's easy for us to reach out to people who are a bit more put together opposed to someone who is obviously visually disheveled. This is an important question for us because the church hasn't always done a great job of extending the invitation of Christ to those who we think are unclean. During the early years of the AIDS epidemic, when there wasn't much known about the disease, it seems that those with AIDS were deemed as unclean, ostracized from both society and the church. Maybe we look at homosexuals or those struggling with gender identity is unclean. Maybe we look at drug addicts, alcoholics, prostitutes, or the homeless of our day as lepers, unclean. We need to reconsider who we regard as unclean, especially if we're tempted to shun or withdraw from them. Why? Because Jesus drew near to them. He didn't draw near to them to condone their sinfulness. He drew near to them in order to communicate His compassion, His love, and His ability to save and transform them. 
Because of who Jesus is, he is not defiled by uncleanness, but he transforms those who are unclean with just a touch. And church, he did this very thing for all of us who are in Christ. Now as Christians, we have the Spirit of God residing within us. Therefore, we must engage the proverbial unclean so that we share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. We share the love and compassion of Christ with them. And we share Jesus' desire to make them clean, to make them whole. We know that He wills to cleanse His people, and as Christians, we must be willing to engage those who are unclean in order to see Christ make them clean. Christ was compassionate to the outcast, and you can drop under that umbrella whoever you wish. And so should we be. We must rethink our stigmas, rethink our attitudes, and engage all people with the love of Christ. Third observation. Christ has the power to cleanse the unrighteous. Look at verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. So we've already hinted at this observation in Jesus' ability to make the unclean clean, but we need to kind of dive a little deeper here. Jesus tells the leper to go and show himself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses had commanded as a proof to them. Now the leper had been cleansed by Jesus, but the priest who were called to be the health inspectors of sorts needed to certify that he was now clean. And so it was necessary so that the man could be welcomed back into the fellowship of the village, into the synagogue, and into the temple. But before these things could happen, before the leper's exile from his family and community could be lifted, he had to follow the prescriptions of the law that God gave through Moses in the Old Testament. And so only a priest, only the priest could verify that he had been cleansed and was legally permitted to rejoin his family and to rejoin his community. He had to go through all the ritual that's involved, including the offering of a sacrifice. And this is all found in Leviticus chapter 14. Now remember, anyone who even touched a leper was automatically considered unclean. Automatically. If you touch a leper, you are now unclean. And you're in the same category with the leper until you go through all the proper steps as well to be restored back to family and community. The uncleanness of the leper, therefore, was imputed to the person who touched him. All right? However, what we see in this account is that instead of Jesus being defiled through this touch and made unclean, the leper becomes clean. Instead of the leper's defilement passing on to Jesus, Jesus' cleanness is conferred upon the leper. I think that this encounter provides an analogy for what takes place in the life of a sinner through salvation. I don't think that's the purpose necessarily of this story, but I think there is an analogy that we can clearly draw from this. The leper comes to Christ in desperation, having nowhere else to turn. If Christ doesn't heal him, then he will most certainly die. 
Just as the leper comes to Christ in full desperation and falls before Him, so too does the sinner come to Christ in humility and desperation, falling before Christ and asking of Christ, if you will, in your mercy, will you save me? The disease of sin is much more severe than the disease of physical leprosy. As the sinner comes to faith in Christ, the gentle, tender Savior reaches out to the sinner with His cleansing hand and makes Him righteous. The righteousness of Christ imputed to the sinner. And just as the leper is made clean, so too through Christ the sinner is made clean. When we turn from our sin, when we repent of our sin, when we declare our allegiance to Christ as Savior and Lord, the Lord takes the uncleanness from us, cleanses us, and gives us His cleanness. Key word. It's not just forgiveness. Yeah, forgiveness happens completely, fully, 100%, but He cleanses us. It's a perfect picture of Christ's redeeming work as the Holy One replaces our spiritual disease with His own spiritual life. We've already read this this morning, but 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our uncleanness. He took our unrighteousness. Our spiritual leprosy upon Himself on the cross. The punishment we deserve because of our unrighteousness, because of our uncleanness, was put on Christ on the cross. So that when we come to Him in faith and we seek Him in righteousness through repentance and faith, His righteousness is then given to us. Again, we are then imputed with the righteousness of Christ. No longer are we spiritual lepers who have been put outside the camp, unable to approach God, unable to commune with God, but we have had our uncleanness replaced with the righteousness of Christ and welcomed into the family of God. Now, church... When Christ looks at you and Christ looks at me and He looks at all of those who have trusted in Him for salvation, when the Lord God looks at us, He doesn't see defilement. He sees the righteousness of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And He sees this through the saving, gentle, compassionate touch of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave His life for us. Yes, we are forgiven from all of our sins. Even the ones that you and I just cannot get over. That we're holding on to because we feel in our flesh as if we cannot be forgiven for such things. God has forgiven us from those things, but it's much deeper than that. We have been cleansed from all unrighteousness before a holy God. All unrighteousness. Can I say that again? All All. That's all of it. What is all? All of it. Everything. All unrighteousness and all of this through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we grasp this truth, church, and we grasp a morsel of it, and by God's grace we will grasp more and more and more every single day of our lives until we see Jesus Christ face to face. But when we begin to grasp this truth, we will take this message to the outcast and the unclean. We cannot hold on to it. 
It changes everything about us. Fourth observation. Christ's plan is for complete restoration. Christ's plan is for complete restoration. I want to draw our attention to this just for a moment because I think it's important for us to notice. Jesus' physical healing and spiritual healing is evidence that Jesus cares for the whole person. Yes, the most important thing Jesus can do for any of us is to save us from our sins, giving us spiritual birth, which obviously has eternity in mind, but we can't stop there. Jesus cares about the whole. He cares about our bodies. He cares about our physical maladies as well. There's no doubt this leper knows this. His body has been healed of leprosy. But he still lives in fallen creation. He will no doubt be subject to some other, subjected to some other sickness in his life, reminding him once more that the body is weak and frail and fallen. And so many of us, so many of you this morning know this very well. Our, over time, our bodies break down. Maybe that's your prayer that has not been answered the way you've wanted it to be answered. Maybe it involves your physical body that's waging war against you. But I want you to find hope in this. Salvation is spiritual. But it's not only spiritual. Jesus cares about the complete restoration of the whole of who you are, so much so that He's going to completely restore all that you are in the new heaven and new earth. Just as you were made new in salvation, born again to a living hope, made spiritually alive in Christ, so too our physical bodies will be made new. Perfect. Like Christ, we will be in the new heavens and new earth. Glorified. Our bodies are breaking down now. They're waging war against us now, reminding us that the fall of man is very real. But when Christ returns, our physical bodies will be made new and perfect, just like Jesus. And so our hope is not that we will only receive spiritual salvation. Our hope is that in our, our entire being will be saved and made new at the consummation of the new heavens and new earth. Jesus' plan of redemption is not only spiritual, but physical. His plan of redemption is to cleanse us completely, both spiritually and physically. We will be completely restored, wholly restored through Christ resurrected from the dead to be like Christ. Be no more doctor's visits. Sorry, our doctor's here. No more ailments falling apart. None of those things. We will be made perfect like Christ. Isn't that amazing? You not wake up injured like I'm starting to do more and more the older I get and don't know how it happened, you know? Just as we've we have borne the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall all be changed. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. The cleansing of Christ is complete, Restoration will in the end make us completely whole. And church, listen to this. It is all through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We cannot make too much of Jesus. 
This happens in this leper's life, and Jesus charged him to tell no one. How well do you think that went? (laughs) The report began to spread. You see something like this, you think, I mean, you just see, people see this guy. He may not have told anyone, but hey, here's this dude that was ostracized from all of society, and here he is. He's not sick anymore. But Jesus saw the importance, we're told, at the end of this. And I want you to hear this. This is an, this is an important thing. I say I want you to hear I want you to hear all of this, by the way. But, but if you're dozing off in and out, there are a few things particularly. Jesus saw the importance of withdrawing to desolate places to pray amid, amidst the great crowds that pressed in around him. The more people came and the more they demanded from him, the more important it became for him to withdraw, to get alone with the Father, to have his strength recharged. And hear this, if it was necessary for the Lord Jesus to find that strengthening and intimate power from being alone with the Father, how much more important is it for us to be before the Father gaining strength from his Spirit? goes without fail every time, and I do this too, it's not, it's ever, it's a lot of us. How was your week? Busy, 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 busy. I cannot overemphasize how important this is. Time alone in prayer and Bible study. This is why the first membership expectation that we teach in our prospective members class is that we expect all of our members to spend time alone in personal prayer and Bible study. We must have these times to recharge our batteries to be strengthened by the Lord. And here's the fact. This is, this is, this is, pastorally speaking, into your life, church. Some of you run way too hard, way too fast, for way too long. Bottom line. And because you do, you burn yourself out. You get tired. Your fuse becomes short, and your strength runs low. That's when the enemy creeps in. If we aren't taking time to commune with the Father in prayer and Bible study regularly, the door is wide open for the enemy's attack. If it was necessary for Christ and His humanity, I would imagine it's necessary for you and I as well. Something we can learn from that. It's a wonderful testimony, church, to the grace and mercy that's found in Jesus. Christ's tenderness extends to us and His ability to answer our prayers, to cleanse us, to cleanse us all who to cleanse all who turn to him in faith. And this morning, I told you, as I believe every time we gathered, that the Lord had something for us. I hope that we marveled this morning at God's grace in answering all of our prayers and cleansing us from all unrighteousness and promising to restore the entirety of our being to perfection and utilizing us to share this news with others. This morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, following the service, please come find me or find any of these fine faces that you may see around you that can more than, uh, will more than happily talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. May the cleansing power of Christ characterize each of us each and every day as we live on mission for Jesus. Pray with me.